0: it's unlikely i think italy's playing very well um mancini's got a great again i think it comes down to midfield um you know italy's italy's whole team right now is playing on it looks like they've all been together and playing together for the past 10 years it's unbelievable i haven't seen a team really this well um with such a strong foundation in a really long time so Um, You know, if Harry Kane's not going off for three or four goals and he's not linking up with Sterling or whoever they decide to put on that right side, um, then it's going to be an unfortunate night for England again.
1: Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardian. Those are great guys on all social media platforms, and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. Back here in Studio Z and our recording studios here in Orlando. The Sebi Podcast radio show streaming to you worldwide in 17 different platforms worldwide. Myself, Sebi, alongside Michael Gray, my ride partner. Season 3, episode 35, Mike, of our great show. 35, would you believe that, my man? Absolutely.
2: We put the work in, so I'm not surprised when we, uh, you know, over time, you see the consistency. Yeah, that, that's exactly where we are right now. All is well. All is well, you know. It's all, it's all it's all about consistency. It's all about the work that we put
1: in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Indeed. If you were next to me, would pound it. But you're not there. How you doing, my man?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well, man. It's all good. I'm doing very well. Getting ready for this big trip we got coming up next week. I'm excited, man. It's all good. How
1: about you? Yes, indeed. Indeed so. Mike and I will be live. Mandela Bay Resort for the Team USA Basketball Exhibitions, the women's game, and the men's game. Featuring guys from the women game like Skyler Diggins-Smith, first-time All-Star, Diana Taurasi, fifth-time All-Star, Sue Bird, fifth-time All-Star, Brianna Seward, second-time All-Star, A.J. Wilson in the men's game, Damian Lillard, Portland's Damian Lillard's finest, that's right, Kevin Durant, Kevin Love, Jeremy Grant. Guys and newcomers like Bam Adebayo and Bradley Bill. Should be a fun time, Mike. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited for this one. Oh,
2: big time excited, man. Just to see these guys live and see, to see the work that – the, the work that they put in come come, come all together just from the skill set perspective. I'm very excited for all for this. But the entire weekend, the entire tournament, everything. We even got the big three as well starting up this weekend too, so I'm excited for that too.
1: Definitely that for sure. And the WNBA All-Star Game, the 14th. Yeah. We can't forget about that there as well. First time in Please. Vegas, Mike, is that right? Oh yeah, first time on the West Coast period. Uh, first yeah. time on the West Coast period. Oh, we're going to have yeah, yeah, yeah. a fun time there for sure. I know when we get back, we're we we'll to have a lot to talk about that there for sure <laughs> on the radio. Well, let's start it off, Mike. You know, it, it's the summer, June and July. Well, typically it'd be June. We'd be talking about NBA Finals, but due to the pandemic and unforeseen circumstances, they pushed everything back. So we're talking July NBA Finals. Let's talk about what happened in the desert, Game 1 and Game 2. The Eastern Conference champion, the Milwaukee Bucks, took them a few years, Mike, to actually crack the door, but they made it. And then, of course, the Western Conference champions, the Phoenix Suns, probably the darling of the season, Mike. They came out of nowhere. A team that they acquired Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. Lots of unexpectations. A lot of teams didn't know what they would become. Nobody would ever thought that we'd have an intriguing NBA Finals like this. But this is what we've had through two games, Mike. We know the Suns are up two games to none. Uh, telling story, Mike, The and that's something that we both knew would be coming in. Phoenix backcourt, dominant through two games. Milwaukee backcourt of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, not so much. I think that's been the biggest, biggest telling story through two games thus far. Giannis, he's, he surprised me, Mike. I, I don't know what you you've seen, but... I would have thought we wouldn't see him at least from game two, maybe game three. The guy came game one. <laughs> Limited minutes, 20 points, 17 rebounds, an unreal block. That reminded me of the block by LeBron James in game seven of 2016. I mean, Mike, he 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 got drafted on the right team. When he's galloping and running up and down the floor like that, like a deer, he, he's really a buck. He he couldn't have not gone to a, he couldn't have gone to a better team. Like he really Really defines the the what the bucks are galloping like a deer on an apparent leg. Mike, I couldn't tell you if the man was injured. (laughs) They said that they he he broke his leg. It was a hyperextended. Some I I couldn't tell. I mean, a guy a a deer running like that. uh, My boy was sitting next to me. He was just like, "Yo, that's a deer on headlights." There's no way. Like he is what personified what. The Milwaukee Bucks are as a franchise, and he's just a talent to watch. So through two games, Mike, what have you seen? Just some takes that I've seen.
2: Uh, that uh, one of the biggest takes I've seen is that Milwaukee has a huge time. He yeah, has a huge time. Has a huge struggle <laughs> with guarding the one five pick and roll for the Phoenix Suns. Every time they put Brook Lopez or, uh, or in, in a pick and roll or one of the bigs in the pick and roll for the for the Bucks, they have no answer for that. You see Brooke Lopez matched up on Chris Paul, Devin Booker. You got Giannis sometimes find yourself in matchups with those guards, and that uh, that creates opportunities for the others. And another thing, what I've seen, especially in game two, more so in game two than I saw in game one, was Milwaukee was playing a lot of one-on-one and trying to get their rhythm through that. Meanwhile, the Phoenix Suns ball movement is looking very San Antonio Spurs-esque. And we're seeing a lot, a lot of Greg Popovich energy, uh, just, just a lot of just passing, just like the, the ball movement, the man movement. These guys are getting open. Not only are they great shot makers and shot takers on this team, but it helps... When you have a collection of guys that are moving without the basketball, and everybody's touching. Everybody's getting a rhythm out there on the floor. And uh, the others are stepping up for them. Giannis is getting – Giannis had 42 points this game, and uh, this last game in game two, and he he had limited help. Part of the reason he had limited help is because they tried to run most of the offense through Giannis going downhill instead of setting up up plays for him, uh, getting a couple touches, posting up. As you get a couple touches for him posting up, then that creates offense for everybody else. But if you're just trying to go downhill, it works against certain teams like the, you know, uh, uh, injured Nets or a, 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 a more inferior opponent like the Atlanta Hawks. But against a great defensive team, a team like the, like the Phoenix Suns, who's very sound on all levels, they're going to expose that. And they're exposing Mike Boone Holders' game plan right now. It's, it's, it's terrible. It so I'm seeing a terrible game plan on both sides of the ball. Defensively, this team does not look like the Bucks that we've seen. Uh, all, all playoffs which was the best defensive rated team all playoffs so they they got to lock in defensively they got to get a better game plan offensively as far as playing playing through Giannis getting in the post instead of keep trying to go downhill from the perimeter that's that's not equal offense and then you had drew holiday drew holiday was all he was too busy playing one on one in the first half in that last game trying to trying to get in rhythm if you want to get him in rhythm get him to his spots Chris Middleton you want to get him in rhythm get him to his spots usually they get a rhythm when they get back home so i'm not too discouraged because um, Phoenix took care of business, Milwaukee is still very much in the series to me. But right now, Phoenix took care of business at home, and and one of the telling tales is that they cannot stop that one five pick and roll. They have to adjust to it.
1: And I would agree with you, Mike. Now it's been a week's time. I don't think we made our predictions. My 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 prediction was <coughs> Phoenix and six. I don't know what your prediction was. Uh, Bucks and Bucks seven. Bucks and seven. You had the Bucks and seven. I had I yeah. had uh, the Phoenix and six. And one of the reasons why is because Bud You know, I, I've been saying I, I think. The coaching edge thing, it's going to catch up to him. And I think this is the series that catches up to him because you talk about that 1-5 pick and roll. I've said this since the Nets series. I said, the Nets go so small that even in that series, you saw Kyrie, Bacon, and taking advantage of a guy like Brook Lopez and Bobby Portis on pick and roll. Really? Kevin Durant doing the same thing. I said, in order for the Bucs to win this title, Giannis is going to have to play the five because when you do that, you're able to switch everything. You put Tucker mm-hmm. at the four. You're able to switch everything left and right. So when mismatches create Giannis with that, obviously, you know, two-time defensive player of the year, but that frame, you know, he can cover a lot of ground when you switch things, where if he's helping, if he's on on help side on one end on the floor, he can have the ability to have the lateral quickness to move sideline to sidelines and even come and alter a shot. So I said to myself, you know, that's what's going to take for the Bucks to win the title. But Noam one her, he's not going to make adjustments. I mean, he, he believes in Brooke Lopez and he believes in that and Bobby Portis. And so you're seeing in the series every time, whenever Booker wants to switch, he's going to get it. Whenever Chris Paul wants to switch, he's going to get it. Mike, they're literally taking turns back and forth. Alfred. They, they Alfred. have, uh, there's, there's few plays. They have Drew Holiday as the initial defender. Then they come and get uh, the 1-5 pick and roll with the switch on Aiton or whether it's Sarich or, or or whether it's, you know, Crowder or whoever it is. They get a big on them, and then they're just taking turns, Mike, back and forth. Now, I would say this. Milwaukee did a much better job game two adjusting to that. But even then, the others started going. They, they started hedging. They started trapping a little bit more. But, you know what I'm saying? The, the telling story for me, Mike, is this. Chris Paul, 32 points in game one, right? But he had help. Aiton had his 22 and 19 in game one. Game two, you know, you had Booker go off. Chris Barr had 23. Booker had 31. But you had Mikel Bridges step up and give you 27. The problem is, is that every time in that game two, when Giannis, when he went on that flurry in that third quarter, 20 points in a quarter where he looked nearly unstoppable, you know what I'm saying, and they cut the lead. They started diminishing the lead from 15 to 12 to 6 to 8. Phoenix had answers. You had Jay Crowder who comes off the uh, and makes a big shot. Mikkel Bridges was unconscious. You have the two cams, right? You have Cam Johnson and campaign off the bench. They're instant offense. So when there's trap and there's helping up top on a key, they're able to make timely shots and open shots. The thing is with Milwaukee is the inconsistency with, with, with Chris Middleton, who had 29 on a bad shooting night in game one, but, you know, it's funny to me, Mike, because Drew Holiday, this is the reason why Milwaukee paid you big bucks. They didn't pay you four years, one hundred sixty million dollars just for you to come to the finals and wet the bed. Right. They, they it, 10, 10 points and nine rebounds. Mike is unacceptable for for a guy like Drew Holiday, who has the ability to post up both Booker and Chris Paul in the paint and get to the paint and to the rack at any time with the strength. With his ability to finish with either hand, the left hand and the right hand, ten points is un- in unacceptable. One hundred and sixty million dollars, Mike. That 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 to me is 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 what's the telling story. And then game two, Chris Middleton from his twenty nine point performance has eleven points. So the problem here is it's, it's it's coaching is one thing, but I think it's just a bad matchup for these guys because again, Giannis is going to have to play the five. That's that's what I see. They're they're eating alive, Mike. Brooke, and Bobby Portis on the thing. Now, what Milwaukee did in Game 2, which they didn't stick to it, is hopefully they start doing this in Game 3, Mike, is what I saw is they started seeing the mismatches and then started using that to their own advantage, right? That big body that Brooke Lopez is, you start going in the paint. Tucker started crashing the boards. Giannis starting to have his way. So, if they're eating you alive on one end, you gotta make them be able to pay you on the other end. Charles Barkley and Shaq says this a lot. They say that, you know, sometimes when you see a little man on you you gotta be barbecue chicken if they're gonna eat us alive in today's game where it's all guard heavy and they take advantage of the bigs you gotta be able to punish them on the other end and so they started doing that in game two I thought they 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 got out of character and they moved away from that later on when when you know Giannis went on that flirt because when Giannis gotten going everybody was just standing there right yeah. and then you look at the Phoenix Suns you see ball movement there was a specific play where Each guy touched the ball nine times, Mike. I know the play specifically that I I think you know which I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Each player touched the ball nine times. Bridges dumps the ball to Aiton. He hits the layup and the foul. That's the difference you've seen both, two. The continuity of the Suns where it's more ball movement, player movement, like Golden State, like the Spurs. And you see one-on-one action with Drew Holiday, Middleton on the block, or even Giannis on on the drive. And so – They say role players play better at home. We'll see if there's adjustment that they can make in game three, but I I just think this is a flat-out mismatch for the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: No, and that's what it's looking like. You brought up a great point about about Giannis playing the five because when they did when they put him at the five and they had those shooters and those scorers on the outside, it actually they worked to their advantage. They like spread the floor out. They had shooters on the outside. They had more scoring. You have to have scoring against this Phoenix team. Well, Right now, one of the biggest keys that I'm seeing is that they don't have enough firepower offensively when they're not hitting their threes to score with this team. This is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league or has been for the last two years, and they are shooting horrendous from three-point range in these first two games. I'm sure that will change in Milwaukee. And, 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 and then that, that could change the dynamic of the series based on how they play. But um, now it's just—it's just, it's just uh, right, right now it, it does look like a bad matchup. It's a terrible game plan, and they're not using—they're not utilizing the skill set of the players to their advantage. Or as far as as far as the matchups are concerned. So now you know it's, it's a great—it's a great point about that. Drew Holiday in the first half, it looked like it was too much ISO, too much him trying to get in a rhythm, and that, that 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 came to their advantage, especially when they had the lead for a little bit, and then they actually had a little. They, they, they actually had some momentum, and that momentum was lost in that second quarter, trying to do too much one-on-one. So sticking to, sticking to the game plan, sticking to their guns, uh continuing to lock down, fight over those screens on the pick-and-rolls, those are going to be the keys for them in game three and four. I still expect them to, uh, to, to handle their business in Milwaukee because they're that dominant. But right now, yeah, the Phoenix Phoenix definitely took care of business at home.
1: Definitely there for sure. Milwaukee, they are good at home one of the best home records in the postseason. But <laughs> little do you know, the Phoenix Suns, much like they did in the regular season, Mike, the best road record in the regular season, they are by far the best road team in the playoffs as well. So things and telling stories to watch out for. Adjustments you want to see in game three. I, I do expect the Bucks to bounce back. I wouldn't count them out, Mike. Um, I-, I don't think that, you know, they've been down 0-2 before against the Buck, uh, the Nets, and they were able to win that series in seven. So I'm not early to write out the Bucks, but what has to change for this team to get back in this series?
2: More shooting on the court. Uh, definitely, the thing, more more perimeter play, like you said, Giannis on the Giannis on the court. Young Giannis at the five, excuse me, uh, staying out of foul trouble. Continue to play. Continue to, to run sets for him in the post. Instead of having instead of having him at the perimeter, trying to dribble his way to the basket or go get to the get to the cup like that, because that's easy to guard, especially with this Phoenix team. Get, get him some plays in the post, or get him some plays moving. Where he gets a second touch, he gets a third touch potentially on a possession. And then that 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 offense will create the space for the other perimeter players and that'll set up the three point shooting that we know that they're great at and that can give them the separation they need. This the Milwaukee Bucks can can get back in this series if they stick to their game plan, get their players to their spots, and come up and, and, and stay consistent with it and lock and lock in more defensively. Because defensively this is not the same Bucks team that we've seen. So not only will it give them quickness and speed offensively, but it'll put the pressure on Phoenix and um, and, uh, and and it'll, it'll help them on the
1: defensive side as well. It things to watch out for there. There's something that it caught my eyes for Milwaukee, I, I think Brent Forbes is starting to be in the doghouse. Remember when he was unconscious in that Miami series? Since then, Mike, he's really struggled. Really struggled. And now you see T getting more minutes. Pat Connington had a, had a, se- a season high, 33 minutes off the bench. And so he had a great game in game two, being able to knock down four threes. So, but Brent Forbes, he's, he's a little bit on a dark house. Only three minutes in game two. That's something to, 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 to see, yeah. to, to key in. Yeah. But for me, Mike, the Bucks, and I talked about it later on in what I was saying, is they got to be able to punish their matchups. They're the bigger team in the series, right? Yeah. Lopez, rather than being 33 feet from the basket shooting Jays and shooting three-point shots, get that big belly down low in the block and, and bully them down low. I think the same goes to Middleton and Drew Holiday. We saw Drew Holiday when Kyrie was playing in those first two games, being able to post up Kyrie Irving. Chris Paul is smaller than Kyrie Irving, so I know for sure Drew Holiday has the ability to post him up, get to his spots, hit some turnarounds, and get at the rim at will. And then, of course, the other guys being able to step up. I think that's the advantage that the Bucks have. If they're going to be able to, you know, take advantage of you out in the perimeter with their guards you got to be able to make their guards guard I, I think that's also a telling thing like when, when the Cleveland Cavaliers came back 3-1 in that series against Gordon State when they were down 3-1 they said that not only did we get physical but we wanted to make Steph guard we wanted to make Clay Thompson guard so as great as Booker and Chris Paul is you can't just have them getting it going on one end and just relaxing on another end. You got to be right. able to bother them. be able going to work on defense. And efforts to, you know, be able to gas them out a little bit, get them in some foul trouble a little bit, and then that can bode well for you down the stretch. And another thing, too, uh, Phoenix is starting to get flat, right? They're starting to get really thin on their roster. Dario Saric is out with a torn ACL, out indefinitely. We don't know the status of Craig. So more minutes for Booker, more minutes for a 36-year-old Chris Paul. Aiton has got to play about for 38, almost 40 minutes now. So that's the advantage I think the Bucks really need to take advantage if they want to get back in this series in Game 3 and Game 4.
2: Yeah, no, I see that. I, de- I definitely see that happening. And, um, you know, the, the, those are all great points, you know, especially the one you know talking about just forcing Paul, Booker, and those guys to work on the defensive side because that will hamper them offensively. Now, I, I fully expect that to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see. And game three is a must-win, obviously, for Milwaukee. But, um, you know, I expect them to come out with all the energy in the world.
1: Let's talk about what, what Chris Paul and Booker has done through two games, Mike. Sure. Um, but if you're a voter, you're probably splitting hairs on early finals MVP. DeAndre Ayton is not to be ignored as well with his performance in game one. Obviously, lackluster and pedestrian thing in game two. But uh, from what we've seen so far with, with this Phoenix team, it starts with James Jones and trickles down to Monty Williams. And then, of course, you got an additional coach on the court with Chris Paul. So uh, to you, what have you seen on their end in terms of the play of Paul and Booker?
2: What I'm seeing is a combination of brothers that's, just, that's handling their business. Chris Paul, is, we, we both, these, these are both three-level scorers. Devin Booker is the most, probably the most complete basketball player on the floor as far as his overall ability and what he can do. But Chris Paul is the, is the most savvy, is the savvy veteran that still got the mid range, still got to put the threes, and he's, he can still get to the basket at will. He's a pick and roll maestro. Uh, it's just the way, what we're seeing is their full, their full skill set on display. I mean, the mid range game, the mid range games. Anybody that loves the mid range loves to see the brothers pull up. This is this is the series for you, and this is the, this is a special team to watch. You enjoy watching these two do their thing in the pick and roll, knock down jump shots, now uh, finding uh, finding others. It's just what you're seeing is a, is a beautiful combination of a young a, a young killer and a savvy veteran that's, that's been in the game for a long time. And the combination of that, of, of, of those two, the, of, 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 the combination of having those two on the court at the same time is one of the one of the keys for success for this Phoenix Suns team. You're just seeing them going out there kill, kill for kill, and uh, straight trade, bucket for bucket, trade uh, possession for possession, going out there leading this offense and leading this team on both sides of the ball. So we've seen Devin Booker play defense better in this playoffs than we've probably seen in his entire career. Yeah, we there's knew Chris a Paul. commitment
1: on the defensive end in this game, in this we year. Knew,
2: yeah, we knew Chris Paul. Chris Paul was a pit boy. He, he usually takes the challenge on, on defensive side. But Devin Booker, he's never been known to be have those these, these type of defensive problems, and it's a testament to the culture that they have over there in Phoenix. So, just all, offensively, we know how special they are. They're not shooting as efficiently. Devin Booker isn't, isn't really shooting as efficiently this series, but he's knocking down timely shots. And he's getting, he's getting to the paint of will. And Chris Paul, he's just out there being, he's being Chris Paul, man. This is somebody that we've seen for years and years and years. And he's just finally healthy now. And he finally has the proper help around him to get it done.
1: Yeah, definitely there for sure. We saw in game one, it was a blitzcrack, blitz right? They couldn't <laughs> keep those guys out the paint. I mean, they were living in the paint, mid range and foul line down, living in the paint. They did a much better job in game two, I will admit. They, only, they took him out of the foul line, where Booker makes a living, Mike. He gets about 8 to 12 attempts a game. So they kept them out the foul line, only nine attempts. We'll see if they can carry that momentum going into game three. Yeah,
2: we'll definitely yeah, we'll definitely see, man. Uh, I, I expect them to. I think it's going to be tough for, them, for their first road game. This game three is going to be the toughest one. But game four is usually the telling game for a team like the Phoenix Suns on yeah. the
1: road. They say to game fours are always the telling story of a series and none bigger than this series. The Phoenix Suns looking for their franchise's first ever Larry O'Brien trophy. And the Bucs, they're trying to party like 71, like Oscar and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did. Last Sunday won a title. The Seven podcast radio show. When we come back, we shift gears to football. Yes, football overseas, not American football. Big weekend on the soccer stage. The 70 Podcast Radio Show, live in Studio Z. And we are back here on the Sevy podcast radio show. Our second segment today is with us. We've got a special guest, our soccer gurus with us coming live from Rancho Cucamonga, California, Tyson Barrios. Tyson is with us tonight. I know you don't hit as hard as Tyson, but uh, it's a pleasure to have you on.
0: You know, you and I mentioned it not too long ago, but um, you had heard me from I think another fellow's podcast or space, I should say um, through Twitter, but. Um, You know, I'm young. I'm only 20. I just turned 20 just this past May. Um, I've grown up in Southern California my whole life. Um, You know, being around football, being around soccer and California is probably one of the best sports or best states for sports in general. So um, especially right when I got out of high school, I knew that I wanted to get into this kind of stuff. So I'm just at that entry level, of you know, giving my own opinion on on football and soccer and pretty much anything else sports.
1: Definitely there for sure. Are are you getting into this, the sports uh, journalism track or you want to be a broadcaster? What's, what's, what's your inspiration there?
0: It'll, it'll probably be more journalism than anything. You know, if I can, I know for sure this is an industry where connections is everything and experience, it goes even further. So um, anything I can do to talk like this or publish anything, get myself out there further and further, um, you know, I'll do it. So, um, you know, I'll probably, you know, stick with the journalism side. Um. See how far that takes, and you know we'll go from there.
1: From there for sure. Go ahead, Mike.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyson, talk to me about just soccer in general. Because I played a little soccer when I was younger.
2: It was a lot of running. You know, it was a lot of running. Just talk, <laughs> talk, talk to people. Talk to people about how how in shape you have to be to play soccer. Whether you're playing defense or you're out there in the midfield, running the whole field. Like how 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 in shape do these brothers have to be to really it's... to really you know to play at the high level?
0: It's, you know, even beyond the high level, if, even if you um, just watch high school soccer or um, club soccer at really any level, uh, you know, there's there's just an unbelievable amount of cardio and conditioning that goes into this sport. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think a lot of people know that it involves a ball and two goals and it's a team sport. And you don't realize how well you have to be in shape to keep moving, to consist uh, consistently be on and off the ball. So, Especially when you get to the professional level, it's it's unseen, it's unheard of, it's unmatched. There's there's not a lot of other sports that can really compete with the um, the level of conditioning you have to have with this with with soccer.
1: Okay. Definitely, definitely, there for sure. And from speaking from that, it's a big weekend. Arguably, the soccer's biggest weekends until what Qatar twenty twenty two for the World Cup. Right. Uh, so we'll start off with the Saturday night matchup. I think the world's been waiting for this. Messi and Neymar, we know Messi regarded as arguably one of the greatest players of of all time. We didn't get to see Maradona or Pele play, but, you know, he's in that conversation. But the only thing he's missing on that resume is a World Cup and even a senior tournament title for his country in Argentina. And then Neymar's looking for the same thing. So we finally have Brazil and Argentina in the final. Thus far through the Copa, what have you seen thus far and what's your take on, on that intriguing matchup?
0: Uh, I was excited. I got really worried when Argentina had to go down to penalties against Colombia. Um, I was getting really worried. Um, but I'm excited that they're finally going to get an opportunity to play each other internationally. Um, you, you, you couldn't have said it any better. Um, I think the biggest distinguishment between, you know, the Ronaldo's and Messi's and then Pele and Maradona is that Messi's had real no success internationally. So this, this would absolutely round up a great career Um, He can finally, you know, check that off the list. Um, But Neymar is probably not going to allow it to happen. I like Brazil, to be honest with you. Um, I think Brazil is playing well. Um, I think we haven't seen Brazil play this well in kind of a while. Um, The last time I can recall them having really good success is um, when they won the Olympics that last time. But, um, you know, as excited as I would be for Messi to finally get an international trophy, I, I unfortunately don't see it happening. But... Um, you know, it's pick and choose. Would you rather see Messi get one or would you rather see Neymar add to a pretty extensive and successful career?
1: Yeah, definitely. there for sure. People who don't know, these two guys are very much best friends. They played with each other in Barcelona uh, before, obviously, uh, Neymar making a record fee as uh, for transfer guy um, as PSG transfer and bottom out um, to go to the French club. But um, and your thoughts about this, because you, um, I'm with you. I think Brazil's the better side. They have the more complete team. I think Argentina is more too reliant on Messi. What would it take for Argentina to, to kind of pull off this upset on your mind? Um,
0: honestly, I think it comes down to their midfield. I, you don't see a very consistent lineup with Argentina. They try a lot of things. They like to have more of a defensive mindset in the midfield so that their wing backs can push up. And then it kind of forces Messi to sit inside and he's away from his natural position. So I think if they can find a good balance between who they start in the midfield, um, whether it's Paredes, whether they push, sometimes they even drop in Di Maria in the middle or they'll put, um, I can't think of his name right now. They'll drop Lotaro Martinez into that position sometimes. But, you know, Argentina does this thing where they like to put some of their best players out of their natural position. So if they can get a very solid midfield, and allow their, their fullbacks to step up to a comfortable position and still allow some of their playmakers to roam the field in comfort, then they could possibly put three or four on Brazil. Um, I just don't see them doing that. They, they've struggled with that the entire tournament. Um, there's a very weird rotation up top. Um, Lataro Martinez is playing in a weird position right now where, where he's dropping down and he's having to get back up and look out wide. Um, Aguero's not, not necessarily helping that case either. So it comes down to their midfield. You know, if they don't have a strong, solid midfield three or four, um, they're not going to have any success whatsoever. Agreed there for sure. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Nice. Tyson, talk to me about this Italy versus England uh, matchup that's coming up on Sunday. <laughs> uh, Harry, Harry Kane, you know, the, the, leader, for, um, the leader for England, talk, talks about this being the biggest games of those, their careers and stuff like that. How important is this game for them, and what do you see in this matchup?
0: Um, you know, it's difficult. I've got, I've got probably one of my best friends who's out in England right now. Um, He's playing, he's trying to get, you know, his professional career going and whatnot. And he, uh, him and I are constantly arguing about this. But, um, you know, I like Italy more than anything. Um, As for as for your original question, you know, Harry Kane mentioning it's probably the biggest game of his career. I I don't doubt that one bit. Um, England's had a very unfortunate run, where they've had all the talent in the world, and just not the right amount of luck. Um, so if they can find a way to, to put something together against a good Italy team like this, even if they lose, you know, if we see Harry Kane play the way that we all know he's capable of playing, um, then, yeah, he's probably going to add an extra 50 to 100 million to his transfer value. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see him go somewhere for a very expensive purchase. But um, I think it's unlikely. I think Italy's playing very well. Um, Mancini's got a great, again, I think it comes down to midfield. Um, you know, Italy's Italy's whole team right now is playing. Um, it looks like they've all been together and playing together for the past 10 years. It's unbelievable. I haven't seen a team really this well um, w- w- with such a strong foundation in a really long time. So, um, you know, if Harry Kane's not going off for three or four goals and he's not linking up with Sterling or whoever they decide to put on that right side, um, then it's going to be an unfortunate night for England again.
2: Gotcha. This is an off topic question as far as, you know, the Euro League is concerned, is more so just the an overall and general soccer question. Right. More more so, um we love Pele. Pele is Pelé is obviously somebody that's that's looked at as a pioneer for the soccer game. But when you when you look at some of these these newer g- goats as far as, you know, obviously Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, uh David Beckham and guys like that, what's what separates them from the greatness that we saw from Pele?
0: Uh golly. Um I think it starts with Pele's international success. I think he won the World Cup three or four. I think it's three times. Um, you know. Yes, that's I, right. I know it is three times, right? Cool. Yes, that 50, um, you know, 58 somewhere in the 60s and I know for 58, 1970 for 58, 58, sure.
1: 58, 62 and 1970.
0: Yep. Oh, it is. Um, but I think you know, we hadn't seen someone back then really play, and I, I think it's funny that I say we. It's not like I was watching in 1958, <laughs> but um, you know, people had not seen someone play like that—such um, a complete player, comfortable on the ball, um, intelligent off the ball—and um, I think that's what it comes down to. Aside from his consistency, um, he was just playing. It's—he it, was ageless, man. He just would—he played wonderfully. He—he he was an absolute. Um, trailblazer for the game, and I think a lot of people try to emulate him, but don't have the same success. So for Messi and Ronaldo to kind of start putting themselves in that, um, into that equation, it's really coming just from their you know domestic success. Um, so I don't doubt if Pele had played you know maybe in this day and age, he'd still be just as successful. Um, but for us to kind of compare Ronaldo and Messi to Pele, it's very difficult to do. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that we have to look at Pele's international success as the only difference maker.
1: And, and to, to piggyback on that, Mike, it's different eras too. I mean, Pele was playing right. against right. you know guys from that where we play around in the backyard or, or, or from school, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So right. whereas, you know, Ronaldo and Messi and even the original Ronaldo, <laughs> Brazil Ronaldo, they were playing <laughs> against some of the top, I mean, like top Professionals in the time, most people will tell you they they think Maradona or maybe Messi might be better than than Pele from from a talent standpoint. So it's 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 interesting uh, to think about. But I want to get back to this England and Italy uh, matchup here, uh, Ty, uh, Tyson, because I'm rooting for the Three Lions. I am. I'm rooting for England here. <laughs> England hasn't won anything since 1966. We know they won the World Cup then, but I'm rooting for the Three Lions. I, but like you mentioned, the the thing for Southgate is gonna be who's gonna play that right side? Is it gonna be Jaden yeah. Sancho, who's I think is gonna be a fantastic guy? You, I mean, we've got some youngsters that's coming up that's gonna be the future of soccer. Mbappe and and Erling Haaland to this guy right. Jadon Sancho. I mean, we, the soccer game is in great hands. So, is it gonna be him? Is it gonna be Grealish? Is it who, who's gonna play that right side for England to pair up with Kane and Sterling up top? Because I think Sterling's had a great. Uh, tournament thus far, but to me, it, it, the, Italians are really hard to break down. I, I, they're just excellent defensively. All so right, I'm rooting for England, but I, I think it's going to be a tough one.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult for England. Um, but for that right for that right wing position, I mean, they could put like five different people in that position and find success. I don't. It's unbelievable that you know he got the fortune that he did to pick such a good team. Um, this tournament but I'd be surprised if it's not Sokka um, the young guy from Arsenal Um, there's plenty of times where especially in that Denmark game and quite honestly throughout the tournament um, that you saw him get himself near the 18 yard box and I think he's most dangerous when um, there's that threat you know we can't foul him right now we're way too close to goal so they start to back off and then you allow someone with his speed and his skill to start pushing inside Um, and he's got a great left foot I think that's really what's going to separate him from, from anyone else that Southgate's even considering on that right side is that he can cut in and use his left uh, very well, probably better than anyone else on that team. But um, I'd be surprised if they don't go with Saka. I thought he did really good against Denmark. Um, if it's not Saka, you'll most likely see Marcus Rashford. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they push Mason Mount or Phil Foden on that side just to have someone a little bit more technical. Um, I think if they put someone like even Grealish or Foden or Mount, um, they won't find the same success. I think Italy's got one very small flaw, and it's just that that back line's not entirely um, that fast. They, they've There's been a few times throughout the tournament they've gotten lucky with it, but Italy finds themselves allowing Chiellini or Benucci to be sitting in that back line. And as great defenders as they are, there's, they're, they're not going to catch up to Rashford they're not going to cash up to Raheem Sterling. So, um, if if England can get lucky and they can find a ball over the top with someone like Saka or Rashford or Sterling running it down, that's how you'll probably see them scoring. Um, I don't see England being able to break them down the way yeah. that we know England's capable of playing. It's just that Italy's that dang good.
1: Yeah, Italy's did they, they for centuries. I mean, for decades they've always been great defensively. That's, right, the Azuri. That that's how tactically. The Italians play so when we fast forward next year to the world cup, um, out of these teams, you, you look at England, they finished fourth last year in the world cup. Italy had a bad world cup, now they've bounced mm. back seemingly. Um, you know, Brazil's always Brazil, <laughs> you know, they're, they're always right steady, and then Argentina, it's the Renaissance. So, out of these teams, <laughs> and and even some disappointing teams, France didn't do well, Belgium didn't do well. Is there a team to you that, that has done f- far? well in these competitions that you think can continue that next year or is there like a sleeper team that you think can make some noise in next year's World Cup?
0: Um, I think for starters you'll expect France, well let me rephrase that, I think if France um, you know, is finds a new coach, um, I think what happened to them is completely d Chomps's fault. Chomps' um, fault Zinedine Zidane has been kind of mentioning that he wants to come coach internationally.
1: That'd be scary uh,
0: That'd be crazy. That'd yeah. be really cool to have a guy who's, you know, been in some of these tournaments um, and, you know, have a different feel for some of the guys and and um, bring his success from Real Madrid to an international standpoint. That'd be absurd. So um, I like France either way. You know, France has such a large selection. Um, it's very scary. It's for any team to have to play them. Um, but I do think Italy will, will – will, it's tough to say – I think if they go into next World Cup without, you know, perhaps some help in the back line, um, I don't know if we'll see Keolini and Benucci again. Um, I, I really don't. Um, but it would be nice to see them, you know, add some youth to that back line once again and see if they can continue their good form. Um, England, same thing. You know, you know, going to have such a such a good opportunity and such a good selection of players that um, anyone they bring is going to be be pretty successful. So. Um, And then, honestly, I'd be surprised if we don't start seeing the Germans um, bring some young kids in. Um, There's a weird gap with Germany right now of of guys who are very experienced, like Thomas Mueller, who's played in two World Cups as 1-1, you know, a, a guy like that. And then you've got somebody right next to him, like Timo Werner, who's struggling to even find his form at Chelsea, nonetheless, on one of the biggest stages of all of soccer So. Um, I think they're gonna start resulting to some younger guys and I think you're gonna start seeing that a lot this upcoming World Cup a lot of these countries are gonna have to start looking to their very young players and start giving them some opportunities so any team that can find a balance between experience and youth you know that's your automatic contender um, and coming into this tournament Italy was a Italy and England were a really good example of that the euro had a good had a good you know, group of guys um a bunch of teams had a bunch of group of guys who had been in a tournament like this um as well as very young kids so um as for the world cup i think you know it'll it'll be the same usual suspects you'll you'll see england you'll see france very late um you'll see spain most likely and you'll most likely see germany portugal um and and that's really it definitely there for sure go ahead mike
2: Tyson, do you do you feel like the buzz for soccer has grown over the years, as far as ratings, as far as conversations in the sports world? Do you feel like the buzz for you know Euro League soccer and just overall in general is getting better by by day?
0: Uh, I think for the most part it is. Yeah, I think it's on the right path. Um, I know growing up in the United States, it's a little bit different. Um, people kind of look at soccer and they just kind of quickly brush by it. Um, but statistically speaking, there's no other um, there's no other sport that attracts this many viewers. Um, You could look at the World Cup viewings from 2018 and compare them to any Super Bowl you want or any NBA finals that you want. And it's not even close. So um, I think it's going in the right direction, especially in terms of what the United States is doing. Um, But in the sports world in general, um, I think it holds a very high status. I just think it's difficult to find people who understand it to a certain level to where people find it entertaining to see someone analyze the sport.
1: Definitely there for sure. uh, let's keep it here. Um, last question here. Um, the, the States, the USA, Team America. We've got a new captain America. That's Christian Pulisic, the young man for Chelsea. He's supposed to lead the line uh, with some young guys like Weston McKinney and, and a few, Tim Reen and then some others. So they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. they dominated dominant against Mexico. We know Mexico is a powerhouse, especially in this region. Um, they're going to be obviously a force to reckon with in next year's World Cup, um, getting out in the group stages and stuff. So, uh, what America, I, I think, USA, starting to get that soccer academy now. They've got some young guys that are playing in big leagues in Europe. So, um, wh- wh- where are we at uh, from as in terms of a soccer country globally, and, and what's what is it going to take for us to get into qualifiers and to qualify for the World Cup?
0: Um, you know, the United States is, it, again, on the right path. I think they're just missing a few pieces. Um, having somebody like Christian Pulisic is going to help a lot. Um, but, again, there's a very good group of guys. They're very young. Um, they've got a lot of time ahead of them. Um, I think the United States is starting to find – and and I know this locally too. The MLS has done a really good job um, – trying to get some development and some some younger kids into their league by opening some of these developmental academies. And I think that's huge because if you look at Europe, when somebody wants to play soccer, there's no going to school. There's no other job. It is soccer, you know, 24-7. So obviously, you know, for us to do that just for a sport in this country, um, I don't think you'll ever see it. But some of these developmental academies are producing some very good kids. And even though the MLS doesn't really have – the same competition that you see in the Premier League or anything like that. Um, it's just giving some of these kids a higher platform to perform and get some better, um, some better help. So I think we're going in the right direction, and I think you'll see the United States to start have a little bit of more success. Um, I'm not fond of the coach. That's just me personally. I, a new coach would be somewhat helpful. Um, he's done well for the most part, but um, you know the United States has always had that problem. They've always had a, a very iffy coach. And I think the last time we really had success is when we had Jurgen Klinsman, or I believe it was Jurgen Klinsman when we went to the World Cup. But, um, you know, as for the young group of guys and as for Pulisic McKinney, Giovanni Reyna, um, even Zach Steffen, even though he's injured now, you know, you've got a very young group of guys who are playing internationally and are going to bring that quality and that class from Europe back to their home country. So. Um, I think I, I think if they can find a way to you know qualify for some bigger tournaments, they'll find more success. It's just a matter of time, and it's just a matter of you know tactically how they want to play.
1: Definitely, there for sure, Micah. This is our favorite time uh, uh, where we kind of go ahead and we dig dive into the personal life of some of our uh, guests. And so <laughs> basically, these questions are off the pitch, off the soccer field, um, more so of like getting a feel for who you are as a guy and. And, and, and who you are in your personal time. So it's a few scenario-like questions. It's this or that. We'll go overrated or underrated, and then we'll give you a question and we'll give you a fill in the blank and you fill in the blank and finish the sentence. So it's a pretty easy game. I'll oh. go ahead and start off. So uh, how about this? Overrated or underrated, Killian Mbappe?
0: Oh, overrated, overrated, yeah. Overrated for sure. Um, I love France. I've got like maybe three or 4% of me. I did like a DNA test that says I'm French and last world cup, that was good enough for me to buy a Jersey. So I went with it. So, um, you know, I'm very, (laughs) I'm very critical of the French team and, um, I love him and all. I think he's great. I think he'll end up being a very solid player. Um, but he's very inconsistent. We don't see him play very well in, in, on a bigger stage. Um, and hopefully he'll, he'll find his form again internationally, but, um, as of now, I consider him to be overrated. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. that for
1: sure. Uh, this or that, uh, you either spend some time on vacation on a hill or spend some time uh, at a beach house?
0: Definitely at a beach house. Yeah, I'm, I'm a much more coastal, um, you know, get the feet in the water, spend the day under the sun um, with lots of sunblock. But, you know, I prefer the beach over the hill any day. Definitely. Go ahead, Mike
2: this or that going going out the country for vacation or going somewhere in the country for vacation
0: uh, I'd say out, I'd say out of country um, you know if you're gonna spend the money and go see something you might as well you know go somewhere um, you know worth worth it and experience the world you've only got one chance to do it so you might as well get going
2: okay let me ask you this let me ask you this did this or that um, uh, foreign cars or foreign trucks
0: foreign cars i've you know i've never been a truck guy but um you know i'm i'm a big car guy you know i, I love even american cars but you know some of those Audis, man they're tempting they're beautiful cars yeah, uh, no, they're not, yeah,
1: for sure they're different they're different they're different they're for sure uh here's another one here for you my man um would would you rather would you rather sit at a table and have a conversation with david beckham or would you sit down and have a conversation with
0: Zinedine Zidane? Ooh, I'd probably pick. I'd probably pick David Beckham. Um, you know, I've actually met him when I was really young. Um, he was he was local too. He was somewhere in the Inland Empire in, in uh, Southern California. Um, I was at a soccer tournament, and um, I remember running into him, and uh, I saw him over the the span of like three days, and it was awesome. So obviously, his security doesn't allow anyone to just sit and talk, but. Um, you know, he was watching his kid play. His kid's a great player. Um, again, I don't know what he was doing in Southern California, but um, it was cool to see him. I think I'd rather talk to a Manchester United legend than anyone else. Well, they said bend it like Beckham, Mike. Nobody right bend it better than that. <laughs> I,
2: I, I hear that. Would you Would you rather go – would you rather play soccer against Lionel Messi or Freddie Adu?
0: Ooh. I'll, I'll probably just take the 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 easier one here and just say Messi because it's messy. I've got no problem being embarrassed by him or you know if I'm playing against, especially if I'm playing against them, you know I'll get a good look at him and get to be around a little bit more. So um, you know I'll take Messi for sure. Um, again, as much as as much as that missing international trophy hurts, you know he'll he'll go down as one of the best of all time, if not the best. So I'll I'll take someone of his caliber. This this
1: or that. Harder to guard as a player, Lionel Messi or Cristiano
0: Ronaldo? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> uh,
1: <I'm,
2: laughs> I'll,
0: I'll take Ronaldo for now. Um, physicality and speed to me um, is a little bit more intimidating and a little bit more frustrating to have to um, defend, um, especially when you have the mindset of a defender, when someone's just a lot more physical than you and a lot stronger and a lot faster it hurts a little bit more than the 10 seconds when the ball goes between your legs and you look silly. Um, okay. so I'll, I'll say Ronaldo for sure.
1: Definitely. Definitely. That for sure. Uh, this is more one of those fill in the blank. So mm-hmm. if I can go anywhere in the world and visit any country, that country blank.
0: I'd, I'd have to say Italy, you know, looks great. I'd love to go there. Um, you know, my i I've had a lot of family go there and they've all said it's fantastic. So I'd take Italy any day. And, you know, while I'm out there, I'll probably stop and watch a game to make it even worth more. So we'll we'll pick Italy for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Yeah, I'm sure both of you brothers can can, can can appreciate this question. If you had to pick one, one, one country or one spot to, uh, to, to go to where they had the most beautiful women, that city or spot would be. <laughs>
0: Oh man! <laughs> um,
1: yeah. uh, you want me to answer
2: this big, big, big fella? Either one, either one, either one
1: of you fella. But preferably, oh, oh, you know I'm, either I'm, one. I'm conflicted, man. It, it's it's between Brazil and Colombia. Uh, so. Ah, I hear Brazil mm. a
0: lot. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. But I'm not a I'm not afraid of you know maybe going to Portugal or maybe Spain and seeing what they have up there as well.
2: Spain don't sound bad at all.
0: Yes, man.
1: Yeah, definitely there. All right, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, my man. Um, it, it, it's 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 a uh, one of these things where you know we love to have you back as as a guest. Um, we'll see how the results happen this Sunday. Um, and continue on forward.
0: Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been awesome. Anytime, man. I'll, I'll be around. No,
2: I appreciate you, Tyson, man. It's always good to break down the science and the wisdom of another sport. So I appreciate you, man.
0: Anytime, man. I appreciate it as well. Hey, everyone. We're excited
1: just as much as you guys tonight, if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebbypodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebby podcast is wherever you go.